Everyone, welcome back to a Priest and a Rabbi podcast. This is Father Christian, and uh, across from me through many Zoom airway lines is a Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chaim. Uh, we today are going to be jumping in um, to the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but through the lens of empathy. Um, how do empathetic eyes and hearts uh, provide any kind of hope for us to understand one another and not see each other or have folks see each other as the hated Jew and the hated Arab? Um, but as a fellow mother who has lost children, a brother who has lost a, a sister, um, and we can just feel each other's pain and identify with that um, and, and go to these, to these, um, to the heart and to the roles that God has given us um, as brothers and sisters and children of God. Uh, that's where our aim is. So we'll spend the first half of the show just doing a little bit of a history, and Rabbi Durbin is going to lend um, uh, much needed knowledge for all of us. And then we'll get in the second half of the show, really the empathy and the hearing the stories and how hearing the stories is what changes hearts. So all that's coming up right here in A Priest and a Rabbi. Check it out and subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> Excuse me. That's funny. Yeah. Can, we do, can we start over? No, no. Okay, Let's fine. Let's do it. Let's over. do it. See us next. See us. Check it out. Subscribe and leave a comment. And what are your comments for the rabbi, especially <laughs> the Arab-Israeli uh, conflict? We're going to get into this. Wish us luck. Pray for us. We love you. Okay, enjoy the show. Bye. represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is so good to have you all here on this amazing, amazing Friday morning here on a priesthood of rabbi. My name is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and right next to me is the ever handsome Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam, who was rated the most eligible bachelor rabbi when he was in rabbi school until he got plucked by Rose, and now he is off the books, ladies. For good. How many years have you been married now, brother? Uh, it's going on 13. 13 years. And if you had to give uh, advice to a young a young couple being married now, what would be your advice? You know, it's, it's a great question because I, as I'm sure you probably counsel a lot of um, a lot of people who do come to you for weddings. What I tend to advise people is don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Bigger picture is the two whom are getting married you know, dedicating their lives together. Don't get caught up in family drama, family dynamics. You know, who's going to be happy, who's not. Remember that, you know, we dedicate our lives to, you know, our spouses, uh, which is really important not to lose sight of it. Well, I'm coming to you for advice, buddy, because you've been married much longer than I have. I was a late bloomer. I took the scenic route to get there for children, for everything. So you are my elder. Some people like you get married at 55. I mean, it happens. 55, 40, you know, I, either one, but you know, who needs math? Um, anyhow, everyone, welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Father Christian, as I said before, and it's great to have you here. The number here is uh, 772-280-9788. Um, and I think so, I think that's the number, but does anyone really call it anyhow? I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys, but we do have a podcast as well. Uh, we have a podcast that you can always hear all the different shows, and you can hear the brand new mic that I'm using right now that was generously loaned from Darcy Weir, a wonderful parishioner at St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Steered, Florida. Um, but I've been told that now that I have a nice mic, now I need to have really good padding and sound insulation, which I do not have, as I am in a big empty room with no furniture. So, um, but what we're saying, Rabbi, that this mic is a step up. It actually sounds better than it did in the past. Yep. Okay, cool. 
All right, everyone. So today, from uh, a visual, visual perspective, it looks really smart. Just, just uh, yeah. What, what Rabbi's talking about is that we also stream this show live on Facebook Live. So if you are listening on the radio on uh, 1450 WSTU, you can also watch this live and see our see our just our brave faces um, on Facebook. If you go to a Priest and a Rabbi podcast on Facebook, like us, you can tell us what you want to hear about. So one comment that's been coming up over and over again, it's actually a question, is when are you and the rabbi going to talk about the conflict right now in Israel um, and Palestine? When, when, when are you guys going to do it? Come on. And we've just been staying away. We've been staying away because everyone else is talking about it. Um, there was no need for another two more voices to jump into the mix of it. But we do have, I guess, a unique thing where we're priest and a rabbi approaching it. Uh, so we finally got to a place where I was out at breakfast, called rabbi, and we had a nice probably a pretty lengthy conversation about, so what do you think? Is this, is this the time? Is this the time where we're going to talk about this? Because we're going to focus on interfaith work today. And because I just preached at the temple, rabbi had me at the temple and um, he didn't lose his job. Um, rabbi is going to come back to the church uh, in July. We're starting a lunch and learn series. He's going to be teaching Judaism 101 with uh, our, our congregants. So the relationship is, is, is thriving between St. Mary's and Temple Bethlehem. So praise God. Uh, so, so now how can we approach what's the big elephant in the room which is this mess in the middle east and and, and we want to approach it today correct me if I'm, I'm wrong rabbi is we want to approach it through the lens of empathy empathy compassion um and parse out we've come back to empathy a lot in my church we're studying with some other churches non-violent communication which was studied which was started by marshall rosenberg um a a, a jewish man of course um and this idea that in order for us to find any success and hope and really hearing each other and growing together and finding compromise is through compassionate communication. We have to give to our feelings and to our heart. We have to see each other as complete human beings. And it does seem that over the last 50 years um, and probably even longer than that, thousands of years, there's this um, picturing of the opposite side is not fully human, which when, when you start there, it's, well, anything can happen. I mean, you start looking at people's animals, then you can kill them. It's no big deal. So we're going to try to approach that and parse it out a little bit. Um, and and hopefully we won't get too deep in gasoline with matches in our hands and um, lose our jobs over the show. Uh, Rabbi Turbin, how's that sound? Look, it sounds great. Um, you know, I think, I think, look, I think, I think, and, and, and a slight disclaimer to, to all of our listeners, you know, this is, this is the conversation that we're having. It is, um, at least for myself, you know, it's it, it's a personal conversation about the state of Israel and the current situation that's going on in the Middle East. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't profess to be able to give any answers or any solutions, but I think to be able to have an open and honest dialogue about it, because there, it is multifaceted, it is very complex, it is a complicated situation, uh, but it is one that is very deep. Uh, you know, with all faiths, whether we be Jewish, Christian, Muslim. You know, it, it's something that affects all of us in some way, uh, in a variety of different ways. So, you know, I'm excited to tackle the situation. Um, and, 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 you know, if I could provide any insight or any, you know, any, you know, perspective with it, you know, that's, I think the aim is to really have this conversation because it's, look, this is not something that started two weeks ago with an 11 day conflict and that was it. I mean, this is something that has not just been around since, you know, the dawn of the, the creation of the state of Israel in 1948, this goes really deep. This is, uh, this is, this is spiritual. This is connective. Um, you know, it's a challenge between, you know, both Jews and Muslims in terms of how we approach, you know, a sacred and holy land that we love. I mean, it's, it's, I'll, I'll leave it there as we go a little bit further into it, but I just wanted to to just take this opportunity because I know uh, for many of my uh, community, um, you know, we we were we were blessed last week uh, to have you address our community, and it was it was something that was awesome. You know, uh, for those that don't, didn't know, Father Anderson addressed uh, our congregation last Friday night. Um, I think you did a fantastic job. Um, you know, your ability to pick up on the priestly benediction or the threefold benediction or, you know, whatever we may call it, the, the blessing of the priests, that how you approached it, I thought was actually excellent. That you took each line and took the operative word of each line and started parsing through it about blessing, about protection and God's countenance and giving peace. 
Um, I thought it was a, a really, a really powerful message. Although I will say when I got home, my wife said, how long did he talk for? Because we know those priests, they talk forever. And I said, no, he was pretty good. He was 15 minutes. It was great. But yeah, it man. was, uh, <laughs> you know, I think what it did show, and especially for our community, is that there is a need and a want for, you know, a, a depth of conversation regarding our respective faiths and how we can live and coexist and interact and really, you know, be part of our community together and really, you know, struggle and challenge together. I mean, we've had, you know, difficult conversations. We've had pleasant conversations, but we have a mutual respect for one another and our respective communities that I think really is, is that unshakable bond that we share within our communities, which I will say for me and my temple, we are very, very proud of, you know, what you, Father Anderson, and certainly St. Mary's has been able to offer us, as well as what we hope to be able to offer you, uh, and to really engage, which has been awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, no, thank you for the kind words and the check is in the mail for that. Um, but I, what, what, you're, what you're saying here is that you and I and our, and, our, and our houses of worship, our congregations have developed over time, and this has been five years brewing, of a healthy relationship building trust, building respect. And, and like you saying, we've gotten to the place where we can have joyful conversations and we can have challenging conversations where we don't agree. And you and I have disagreed plenty of times on this show uh, and plenty of times when we've had our conversations off the mic. And that is a beautiful thing to be able to have that kind of healthy relationship in your life, especially now because we, we don't see many models of that, unfortunately, from our political leaders and from others. That used to be really a prized thing that you could see two leaders who have different views um, argue their butts out on the Senate floor and then go on and grab a steak dinner afterwards. So for I treasure our relationship because of that. And that I can say, I, I don't agree with you on that. I think you're off key. And, 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 and we banter back and forth and then say, but what, what's most important though is my love for you and our relationship. And that, that is always overrides everything. And so I think that helps us today when we go and talk about the, the, the mess in the Middle East is, um, I think what we're saying is when folks outside and, when, and we're gonna ask you as listeners to always be fostering now that's my my call to be always fostering relationships with people who have different political views, social views, people who don't look like uh, you, uh, because you want to. Those are gold when they are healthy and well fed. They are groomed. They are nurtured and watered <laughs> in the garden of life. Those are the folks that you really treasure because they because you guys are able to have these tough comments and get get different perspectives. Um, so Rabbi and I might disagree on a couple things today and that, that that's all good, but we're able to do that because we, we built the relationship. We prayed together. Uh, we pray for one another. Um, and like we've always said, we're each other's 2 a.m. phone call. If we're in a, in a ditch somewhere in need of a help, uh, I'm calling Rabbi Durbin out here because I think he'll come no matter what, if he wakes up. Um, all right, so let, let, I think you know what really helps is that today, I woke up, and even though I've been to the Holy Land, um, we, we had incredible pilgrimage tour guides who gave us the history of everything. We spent a lot of time in Palestine, a lot of time in the West and the East, um, but I still needed like a, a refresher this morning. And uh, I think I watched, it was, by the, it was from the BBC or someone put out this. I just put it, I just Googled, uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict for dummies. <laughs> and I got this great 10-minute video that really walked through in 10 minutes to give a refresher. So do you think for the listeners right now who, you know, know obviously there's, there's, there's a, a hotbed in, 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 in the Holy Land, in the Middle East, um, do you feel comfortable giving it just a little bit of a refresher course of how we got here? Is that possible? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's important for people to recognize that, you know, when we talk about modern conceptions of a modern day state, the state of Israel that was founded in 1948, you know, far goes beyond 1948, right? We know that, you know, uh, Israel itself, as Jews, we have always had a strong and deep connection to Israel for the last, you know, three, 4,000 years. You know, Jerusalem itself is the holy city, the capital city of Israel. We know that we have long and deep connections from King David to, you know, to modern day. I think it's important for us to also recognize that, you know, as the as 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 when the British came in, 
and carved up the Middle East, right? With the French, we know, you know, Lebanon was part of France, you know, right? Britain took, took Egypt, took Israel, right? And they carved it up. So I think it's important for all of our listeners to be aware that when we talk about the modern day state of Israel is not the same, and please hear my words, are not the same as the biblical understanding of the land of Israel. Because the land of Israel, to the Bible, was Lebanon, was Syria, was parts, uh, was Jordan, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, Transjordan. It was parts of Saudi Arabia. It was Egypt. So in that regard, the, the land of Israel was a much larger, vast area than we understand today. It's only when modern states come in, like Britain and France, that carve up the Middle East and define where borders are that I think part of the challenge starts ensuing. Who gets what? You know, what, what happens to be part of it? As Jews, we have always been invested in the state of Israel. We have, uh, you know, there's a very powerful and certainly uh, longstanding institution known as the Jewish National Fund, the JNF. And the JNF had raised money in the 19th century, 20th century, for the state of Israel. Today, we use the JNF. They're known for planting trees in Israel. And I believe that the JNF have planted more trees than any other nation on earth. Uh, I think we've planted over a billion trees in the state of Israel. Uh, and part of that is strategic, right? What better gift to be able to give than the gift of oxygen, the gift of our environment to really hamper, uh, you know, and to harness what we have. I think it's also important regarding, you know, land in some way, because that I think becomes the contentious issue is land. Who has right to an ownership of the land when we talk about Israel? And, you know, statistically, we're talking that in 1880, so not that long ago, there were only 25,000 Jews that lived in the state of Israel. It's something like 700,000 700, Arabs. Now, you keep on thinking, but there was no state then. No, no. So, I just don't want to confuse it. So, so right. living like so the land, right? The land of Israel, there were about 25,000 Jews. So what, think, in the 1880s, that was 18, like the Ottoman Empire. Like, what would they what would they refer to that area? Just like the Ottoman Empire? Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. absolutely. So, but, okay. but if you juxtapose 25,000 in 1880, and today we have something like 9 million Jews, give or take 7 million Jews, that live in the state of Israel. At one time, the United States had more Jews than the state of Israel. And of course, that pendulum shifted and switched probably around a decade ago, 15 years ago, where suddenly Israel had more Jews than the United States, which was you know, quite, a, quite, a, quite an incredible feat. Israel has always had some challenges, as we know. We've always, there have been uprisings, there have been claims, right? But I think that it really, it really is something that runs very deep. Uh, you know, I'll speak from a Jewish perspective. It's my homeland. I mean, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I have a very strong connection and deep appreciation and love for the state of Israel. Um, I mean, I, 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 spent, I spent 14 months in Israel. I lived in the heart of Jerusalem. Um, I met my wife in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, we have a very strong and just beautiful connection to the land. However, it's like our relationships with the United States, right? Uh, you know, I live in this country. There are things that I am really impressed by. There are things that, you know, I am, I am struck and I am challenged by. And I think as a North American, and certainly living in this country, that we have a right, uh, you know, to be able to discuss in an open and honest way. And I think same thing with Israel. Um, you know, I, I, I should also preface, criticizing the state of Israel is not anti-Semitism. Let me make that very clear, right? To be able to criticize, uh, you know, uh, another nation's government or the way that they run things is not anti-establishment. I, I think it, it's, it's a healthy way for us. Maybe we struggle and we're trying to find a different angle or a different perspective, Um as we know, the state of Israel as a modern day state was founded 73 years ago, right, in 1948. We subsequently had a whole series of wars and battles uh, to secure the land itself, right? We have the War of Independence. 
we had the Six Day War, the Yom Kippur War. There are other wars where, right, the Arab the Arab nations, you know, um, effectively attacked Israel uh, in order to delegitimize and to uh, eradicate. It has always been a challenge for the state and certainly for Jews around the world. Um, you know, it is a country that in 1950 uh, offered and set into law the law of return. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the law of return. The yes, law yeah, of return, yeah, yeah. I've had friends talk about that, Jewish friends. Right. So the law of return states that anyone who has Jewish status may be able to reside and live and work and, you know, uh, call Israel home. Um, so in that regard, you know, Israel has seen a whole wave of immigration, immigration from uh, largely Russian Jewry who came out of the Iron Curtain and came down to Israel. We have Ethiopian Jewry uh, in the 80s who were airlifted out of Ethiopia during the, you know, their conflict, their civil unrest and their civil conflict that were flown into Israel. There are many operations uh, to really put forward what the message and the importance of this, this at this point, this fledgling state called the state of Israel. Um, and Israel has always, um, you know, used that understanding of, of trying to improve the world in, in, in ways that would be impactful, right? We know that Israel is the leader in medicine. They're the leader in um, uh, technology, right? If you're not in Tel Aviv, you're nowhere, right? I mean, Tel Aviv is like Silicon Valley of California, right? Uh, if you want to make it, that's where you need to be. So Israel has seen such rapid change. I mean, it's like in some way, if we go back, you know, you go back to this image of, of you know, the, the, the you know, impactful city, the, the, the major city of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv was a sand dune, it was a sand dune 110 years ago, right? There was nothing there. And when Israel started forming, Israel, especially the area of Tel Aviv, and for those that are not familiar, Tel Aviv is a coastal city. It is uh, right on the Mediterranean, right? It is maybe a mile north of uh, a very, uh, very biblical city known as Jaffa, Jaffa, right? And then, of course, if you go down the coast, you get to, right, the area near Egypt, which is the Gaza Strip, right? But when you look at it from that perspective, Tel Aviv itself when the pioneers came in, and they were known as the Chalutzim, the pioneers, they were young, they had energy, they were excited to start this land. And again, let me let me make it clear that those areas was a veritable wasteland. There was nothing there. There was no irrigation. There were there was nothing. So you know, 110 years ago, you have images of the Arabs sitting back, smoking their water pipes known as Nagila or hookah, right? They would sit there and smoke and they would and they would point and laugh. And they would laugh at the pioneers and say, what are you doing? This is crazy. You're not gonna make anything of this. And those pioneers built up Tel Aviv. They made the desert. And again, they made the desert bloom. There's greenery. There's vegetation growing in the Negev desert. They brought all First of the- Las Vegas, then Tel Aviv, just like that. And they built up Tel Aviv. So, so let me ask you a question. So, so this, is, this, is, this is very informative, about, especially about the pioneering part of it. But we get into some, we get, then let's look at the other side. This pioneering though, and we're just going to, we're just going to flirt this away or um, tease it because we got to go to break in just a couple minutes here. Um, as this is happening, and from what I understand, like be pre-World War One or when the Ottoman Empire falls, then you already have a, a Zionist movement, right? And by Zionist, I just mean um, there's a call to let's, let's have our own state, let's have our own country. So people are moving to Palestine, not in a huge number. So there's already a Jewish presence there. Um, and there's this intermixing of Jew, of Arab, uh, Arab Muslim, Arab Christian, and everyone's kind of chilling together okay, there's some tensions as more and more Jews arrive. Um, but it's really what, we start to see the real explosion 
um, are in our generations or in our understanding of, of modern history is really after World War II, right? That that's where there might have been tensions brewing because Arabs are like, well, these Jews are starting to come, they're starting to come. But then we start getting into now, like you said before, boundaries are being formed, and it's a Western power carving it up, uh, and um, and so not everyone is is going to be happy. Um, so when we come back, we're going to start into that of like so now there is we got a little bit of an insight of just the passion and the gusto and the feeling of of, of what it means for uh, uh, for for a, a Jew to have their own homeland, and we all know the history of what it's been like to be a Jew just in the world for the last two three thousand years. So to have your own have your own uh, country, um, but there's other residents there. So we're going to start to parse out through scripture. We'll be right back here on A Priest and a Rabbi talking about the Messiah. One at seven nine, producer of a priest and a rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at your favorite Christian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the second half of the show here with Priest and Rabbi. That was Todd Newton, the award-winning game show host, who uh, is a friend of ours. We're so glad that he um, <laughs> lent us his skills. It always puts a smile on our face. All right, so we are continuing our conversation upon the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict here, a Priest and a Rabbi talking about that. Um, we heard in the first half of the show, Rabbi Durbin getting into the reason and the passion and um, the pioneership that happened with Jews returning to Israel and birthright. Um, and, and now we're going to talk about the other side, but there's other people there too. <laughs> and, and we, it gets really sticky when anyone starts putting God in the real estate business, right? And when we all start saying, God called this land, um, for, for, for me, and we have both sides doing that, um, it's, it's going to get, it, it, the whole thing gets, the, the best image I ever had when I was in the Holy Land is everyone's walking in ankle deep gas and everyone's got a match in their hand saying, do you dare me? And, but everyone really cares about Jerusalem, so no one wants to torch that place. But everywhere else, it can get a little get, get a little weird. Um, so, how do you, and without going into and explaining the Palestinian um, uh, drive and ambition, let's just get into the humanitarian, empathetic part. Um, you are a man of God. I've seen you. You love you. You love every human being. Um, that call, and you believe in Genesis one that we're all made in the image of God. And when uh, I was at temple this last Friday uh, celebrating Shabbat with you. I, I heard you in your prayers. You, you, you operated many times on the word all, you know, prayers, peace for all. It wasn't just for Israel. You really wanted to say, God bless all, peace for all. And that seemed intentional um, for, for you. So I'm assuming that that is, how do you balance this love, unconditional love and support for for, for Israel and the homeland, but also knowing there, there there's there's major uh, there's a price, there's a cost to that, um, and there's other people there who are not Jewish, who are not supportive of that, who feel ostracized, who feel occupied, who feel um, mistreated. Um, what, 
where, where do you go with that in your heart? And, and so, I mean, look, it's a great question. And I think in, 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 in one way, I mean, I'm pulled in two different directions on the, on the one hand, it's my relationship with Israel is like my relationship with my children. I unconditionally love my kids. There are times where I, I don't like my kids. Okay. <laughs> but I will always love my kids. Right. There are times that I may not be enamored or uh, supportive of, uh, you know, certain direction or certain statements that the state of Israel comes out with. But as a Jew and as a rabbi and on a personal level, I, I, I just feel compelled. Just compelled to support the state in some way, in any form or measure that I'm, I'm able to do. It's a, it's a delicate balancing act. And as you said, right, I lead I leave my services, Shabbat services with this line that you spoke about last week, right? May God bless you and may God keep you. And I end with this thing that says, May God bless our people and may God give our people peace. And I change it slightly to say, may God bless us, but may God give us and all people the gift of peace. We want peace. Right. And I think it's important for people to recognize the average Israeli wants peace with their Palestinian neighbors. We're not in direct conflict. Or I should say we are, but I think that it's also important to recognize that there is a difference between the average person and leadership. There's a big difference. Okay. Hamas, in my view, is not representative of the Palestinian people. Okay, the average Palestinian wants to live in peace and harmony with their Israeli brothers and sisters. I think. I think for me, I mean, I, I mean, I'll go personal here. I mean, when I lived in Israel, my parents had never had the opportunity to visit the state of Israel. My mom was born in '48. My dad was born in '45. They'd never taken trips to Israel. When I was in rabbinical school during my third year, when I lived in Israel, it was a incredible opportunity for them to come visit uh, and my parents came it was like just before Passover I mean it was great and my father said something to me that I have never forgotten my father said look at the end of the day if I wanted to see Tel Aviv I could I could drive I could fly to Miami Beach okay it's, it's exactly what it is right it's a built-up city on the ocean but you all the love for Tel Aviv and the IT we need to get that love over to Rabbi's Wi-Fi signal because <laughs> this happens. So any, any supporters from Tel Aviv of this show and podcast, please start a fund to improve Rabbi's Wi-Fi because it hasn't reached here in Stewart, Florida. Um, so as we wait for the rabbi to tune back in and to talk about this, listen, this is complex, everyone, as we all know. And I think as, as we've studied nonviolent communication uh, collection of, of churches here in, uh, in Stewart, Florida, we, we get people from different backgrounds, um, black churches, white churches, uh, different socioeconomic places. And the only way that we can really start talking about things like race um, and sex, the only way that can happen um, is that when we start to get to the empathy and start to understand the other, right? I'm seeing this now in the evangelical movement of trying to understand the trans movement, right? You can't look at them and just say, you can't look at, at, a, at a trans person and say, you're just lost. You're, you're, you're just a, a, you're going against the Bible. You have to start with love and you have to start with the heart. Um, and when you start to see people less than and not fully made in it, uh, the, the image of God, you've, you're starting to play God. You've, you've taken the apple. So so uh, the hope, and Marshall Rosenberg, who started nonviolent communication, has done Arab and Israeli conflict resolution. He, he's the one who gets called in for a lot of these conversations, um, is to get people listening to their hearts. So you have a Palestinian person and a, and a Jewish person hearing and breaking each other's hearts. And so they can identify one another as fellow human beings who are just struggling to live life and struggling to put food on the table for the children. Um, and that's when things can change because we can feel each other's pain. Um, so Rabbi, I think Rabbi's back. He finally paid his Wi-Fi signal. Do you, do you think that there, there is this major disconnect where we do see, yes, Palestinian children, some of them who they did a poll, it was on Christian, uh, um, it was, it was in a, a magazine, Christianity Today, of, uh, of saying that 20% hate 
Israel because that's what they experience. They, they feel like vermin. They feel they are treated poorly by the nation of Israel. Their water gets turned off. They're, 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 um, they can't get across the wall. They can't get across the border, go to the hospital. People die. It's just, it, it, there's, there, there's horror stories. Um, but then you, you have probably on the same side of the Israel that there's people who have great hate and venom for the Palestinians because they bombed or they um, uh, uh, killed their, their uncle. So there's so much hate there. Um, and we just see, seeing one another as vermin. Uh, it reminds me of how we trained the soldiers in World War II for the Japanese. We, we painted the Japanese as less than human beings. So that's how we trained our soldiers. So they would just go and kill without thinking. Um, how do we start to get to a place, um, and uh, uh, Rabbi, where people can start to view the other person is a fully made, fully known, fully loved human being of God. And start to see each other just as another human being trying to make it, trying to find peace. Well, the extremists and the extremist views on both sides always went out and guide because that's the politically hot thing to do. And that's always at the end of the day going to lead the legislation, lead the armament, as opposed to sounds like the majority of people in my experience in the Holy Land, the majority of Jews and the majority of Palestinians want peace. They're mostly moderate, but it's that, that 10% or that 5% of extremists that are going to guide the legislation because at the end of the day, fear is going to come out. People say, if we don't bomb them, if we don't shoot mortars, they will eradicate us. And then people are like, well, yeah, let's go with that. So how, if you got called out there, how do you approach that? How do you get people to start just feeling each other's pain and, and, and lead with empathy? I mean, I think, I, think, I think in some way we need to be able to recognize the humanity in each and every single person. I think the situation in Israel, I mean, look, it's very easy for me as a North American to come back and say, I think Israel or the Palestinians need to do X, Y, instead. That's the way I see it. It's a very North American-centered mentality. And Absolutely. I think once you spend time in the Middle East and really see and experience, you know, the tensions. I mean, I remember when I was, when I, when, when the first Shabbat that I spent in Israel, and I remember standing there and somebody had said to me years ago, when you get the opportunity and you are in Israel, listen to the sounds of Jerusalem, okay? And I never thought about it. And on that Friday night, I was walking to the old city. I was walking to, to the Western Wall and, you know, the sun was setting and I heard the Muezzin call. And just for those that are not familiar, the Muezzin call is um, uh, uh, the Islamic uh, pr uh, call to prayer. And I remember standing there at the Western Wall and, and, and just being absorbed in this, in, this, in, this, in this call. And I would look and I could see the Jews at the Western Wall praying fervently. And I remember hearing the Muslims pray on the other side of the wall, right at the Temple Mount. And I remember being very struck. And I remember standing there and just going, it's, 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 it's not even about the, the sounds, it's the tension. Why is there tension between us? We both share and call this city home. We both have a deep connection to God and to the land. And it's such a contentious issue. You know, for me, you know, and I don't know if I've used this example before, but when I was in, uh, when I was living in Israel, I had the opportunity to do what we call uh, Ulpan. Now, Ulpan is intense, immersive language. So I was, I was immersed in the Hebrew language. I, I took classes on, on modern Hebrew. And it was open. It was a very open school. It was around the corner from my apartment. Uh, and I would talk very openly, got very friendly with uh, a gentleman by the name Muhammad, who happened to be a, a pure born and raised uh, Palestinian. I mean, born in Jordan, you know, or born in Israel, moved to Jordan with his family, and then emigrated back uh, to Israel, uh, to, to Jerusalem. And after five or six months, we got very, very friendly. And I remember saying to him at that point, you know, would you be comfortable if we talked, if we talked situation in politics? And he said, yeah, absolutely. We have a good enough relationship. Let's talk. And we spent a long time, I mean, over coffee and dinner and, and really trying to unpack the situation. And I remember saying, do you feel as, you know, as Islamic people, that violence is the way towards achieving what you need. And he said to me, and I'll remember this for the rest of my life, he said, Matt, we do not believe in violence. We do not believe in um, attack. We don't believe in that type of uh, behavior and, and, and activity. We don't believe. 
But he said, but in times of war, by any means necessary. And those words shocked me. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I lived in Israel in 2005. It was a relatively calm and peaceful situation in the Middle East, right? The big explosion that you had was the settlers coming out of, um, out of Gaza that uh, became very contentious with Israel, but it was relatively calm for the year that I lived there. And I remember saying to Muhammad, I said, but we're not in war. And he looked at me and his face went white. And he said, that's what your government makes you believe. Mm -hmm. And I remember being shocked. And I said, I don't understand. And he said, we're always at war. And I remember looking at him and I almost. Sorry, it's. Yeah, Israel it's is awesome. very personal. It is something I feel very strongly about. And just this conversation that I had with this gentleman 15 years ago was something mm -hmm. that I will remember forever. And I remember saying where he said, we're always at war. And I remember looking at him and said, do you ever think that you and I can break bread together in my house or in your house? And he looked at me and he said, I guess that's the hope, isn't it? And I remember those words that will haunt me. I hope one day that you and I are able to break bread together. And I remember yeah. thinking to myself, I know that this situation is deep. I know that there's a lot of pain. I know that a lot of people are suffering. I mean, I have family in Israel. I mean, I have family that, are, that, that have been in bomb shelters. I mean, it's not, it, it, and it's something that I think we as Americans really in some way cannot even remotely fathom what it must be like. I mean, I think the, the, the only closest example we have is when we border up our homes for an impending hurricane but even there the sun will shine eventually and i think right. that that for both israelis and for palestinians and i'm not saying that dialogue is not happening i mean it has i remember you know when i took tours and i you know i've been to israel many times but there was an amazing impactful thing and maybe this gets into because i know we're running out of time but maybe this goes into where's the hope where's the hope and years ago, I was called, I, I worked in the UK as a UK recruiter for a uh, Jewish program that was in the north of Israel in the city of Haifa. And one of the schools in Haifa offers an after-school program. And it's between Arabs and Israeli children who sit side by side and they learn English together. Awesome. And I remember seeing this image, right? of Sarah and of, I don't know, Moisha, as well as Muhammad, sitting next to one another, laughing, mm. touching, asking questions, and not seeing each other as the other. Mm. And that really impacted me. And I remember saying, why, if it works here, why can't you bring it down south, put it in areas like Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem. And I think mm -hmm. at one time they tried it in Jerusalem, it just, it, it didn't really work. But I think the makeup was really, really on the right step. I think we need, and I think this is, this is just my personal view. I think we need to hear each other's stories, right? We can read in the newspaper about Palestinian mothers and families. We, the Israelis have done the same. But I think when we really have the opportunity side and to hear the pain and the story and to validate its need there was a very impactful and just very painful documentary that was done many years ago on hbo and it chronicled the events of a palestinian suicide bomber who blew up herself and took one israeli with her the israeli mother started digging and finding information about this Palestinian suicide bomber and tried to contact her family in the West Bank. And she tried and tried and went to the mother and said, I'm not blaming you. But from a mother to a mother, we both lost our children. I'm trying to talk to you so that we can at least engage in a conversation. There were only two casualties in that incident, whatever it may have been, 15, 18, 20 years ago.
And this Israeli mother traveled out of, you know, being told not to, to an area that is very contentious, to an area that is not, um, from an Israeli perspective, is not terribly safe. But she went there to say and to talk to this mother by saying, your daughter murdered my daughter. And I'm not angry. I'm sad. But I want to move forward. And in order for, as you had said numerous times throughout our 157,000 episode, it's about reconciliation. This Israeli mother put herself out there to be able to say to this Palestinian mother, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you lost your daughter. I'm sorry that I lost mine. But if anything can teach us anything about the situation, we have the ability to make change and improve the lives of Palestinians, to improve the lives of Israelis, so that we can coexist side by side. Yeah, and I, it, it sounds like, you know, the vision that you're talking about is that it, there's a groundswell from, from the community. And I can see this is really affecting you. You're, 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 you're teary-eyed, and if anyone's tuning in live and watching the live stream, this is um, um, really pulled on the heart of, of Rabbi Durbin. Um, but it, it, I don't think our leadership or the leadership in the Middle East is going to be able to do the hope and bring the kingdom of God, this, this, this reconciling force of love. It's going to be a groundswell of people, of the people saying enough. Um, that's a fellow mother. That's a fellow brother who lost his brother. That's a fellow dad who lost his sons. And I'm a dad. And I might be a, an Arab Muslim or an Arab Christian, whatever. You, and you're a Jew, but we're both dads who have lost children um, and enough. And, and that groundswell of, of just empathy, of, of hearts breaking for one another, where the title of, of Jew and, and, and Arab um, disappears and it just becomes more about father and fellow brother and sister. Um, that groundswell, you hope, is the, the, that's the Joshua generation. You hope that's the Joshua generation that then starts to go into leadership and goes into politics. Um, and, and then we can start making these conversations based on our hearts being broken, uh, not our minds trying to win and um, pay justice and uh, for what has happened over the last you know, so many years. It's difficult to talk about this as an American just because you're right. I, I feel like I don't have any credibility at all to speak to this because I live in a relatively calm area of North America, and I, I don't, I don't know. There's no way I, I, I don't know what it's like to have that history. To know that my, my grandma, my grandma's grandma, my grandma's grandma, grandma, grandma were all victims. You know, maybe if I dug far enough in my Lebanese past, but I don't think they were the Lebanese that I knew. We all lived in some pretty relatively peaceful places, but there is, I know, there was anti-Semitism just because of the history that they had. It's grounded. It's in your DNA. Um, because of history, real history of death. Um, so it's, it's uh, but it's, it's hard for um, us as an American. And then you, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I remember one time um, it was, it was during uh, the festival of Purim, right? When we read the book of Esther and how Haman had devised this evil plot to annihilate the Jewish people. And Queen Esther came along, King Ahasuerus and really saved the Jewish people. And I remember, I remember standing there, I was sitting um, just in the old city itself and a fight broke out. And you know, you would think a fight broke out between Israelis and Palestinians. No, it was between American Jews and Israelis. And the fight that broke out was between American Jews and the Israelis where the Israelis said, you Americans come here, you think you own this land. We died for this land. We support this land. And I remember being very moved. Um, and I remember just, just the shoving and the pushing of, you know, this is our land. And I remember saying, it's land. Can't you just accept and love it? Without world resources, we wouldn't be here. Without the Israelis who stand there and defend their nation, we wouldn't be here. And I remember being very moved. I mean, I, I was very upset after that incident. I mean, I remember going to... At that time, my girlfriend's house, um, uh, which happened to subsequently be my wife, uh, and, and explained the situation. And I, 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 was, I, I was shaking. I was so upset. And I remember thinking to myself, why am I so upset? I have a claim to this land of Israel. My wife has a claim to the state of Israel. As Jews, we have a claim and a right to this beautiful land. But shouldn't all people have a right 
and a need to live and coexist in peace and harmony? And if that's not the case, don't we have a responsibility excuse me, to our faith, to our people, to ourselves, to use our voices? If I see injustice being done in my nation or in my country, I stand up. I say, this is not right. We find others that support our cause and we go forward. And I think, I think with Israel, I mean, I've seen many images over the last couple of weeks of Muslims and Jews linked arm to arm that say, we are brothers and sisters. Remember, we came from the same father. We came from Abraham. Abraham had two sons. Well, actually, Abraham had something like eight or nine children. But, you know, the two most important sons that Abraham had, right, was Ishmael and Isaac. From Ishmael became the bloodline of the Islamic people. For as, as an angel of God spoke to Hagar in the wilderness with Ishmael, do not turn your back to your son, for I will make your son a mighty and numerous nation. And with Isaac, you and your descendants shall be blessed. The Jewish people come from Isaac, the Islamic people from Ishmael. But the source is still the same. We have the same father, Abraham. And what did Abraham profess? Unconditional hospitality. And I think, at least for me, that's where it goes back to. As you said before, is it about empathy? Is it about sympathy? Is it about uh, reconciliation? I think the way that it works is we need to understand the situation, understand that it is not something that we can solve overnight. I mean, if we, would, if we could, it wouldn't be a 73-year conflict or beyond there, right? We would be able to... to to manage it. I think what we need to do is to educate in a non-biased, unbiased way that shows the facts and shows each religious identity or entity's claim to the lane. I think once we recognize, look, you can go back to the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. We say it's the binding of Isaac. Islamic tradition has it not as Isaac being brought up to the mountain, Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, but Ishmael. Right. Well, imagine that. Same story, same outcome, different son. Right? It's very deep. However, I also think that as Jews, it's important for us in whatever way, form, or fashion to be able to support our homeland. And as you said before, Zionism. Zionism is the belief and the understanding that the Jewish people have a right to a national homeland. It wasn't something created in 48. It was in the end of the 1800s that Theodore Herzl in 1897 convened the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland, and, pro and, and proposed the creation of a Jewish state. He didn't care where it was. He said Uganda, South America, Israel, the Middle East, was not in his purview. Herzl died. Zionism shifted to cultural Zionism, which said that it needed to be the birthplace of the Jewish people. Go back to the days of the Bible. It needed to be the Middle East. It needed to be Israel. There's a lot in it. And I do recognize, you know, we got like one minute left. And, you know, this is a conversation that we could probably have for the next 73 years. Um, you know, I, I will say from a rabbi, from a devoted Jewish person, I pray for peace, I pray for help, and I pray that all people that are living in nations that are caught in harm's way find some semblance of peace and harmony. That's my prayer. Rabbi, thanks for uh, opening up your heart today, man. I know you, uh, you, 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 were the, uh, you, you were the point guard of the show today and uh, had to keep on giving you the ball. But um, for everyone out there, just keep on reading up and learning the facts, as, as, as Rabbi said. Pray upon it in your heart, um, and um, uh, we'll continue to lift up and pray for the Holy Land and for the hope of God's kingdom. Uh, this is a priest and a rabbi. We will see you next Friday here um, at 9 a.m., and you can also check out our podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi Podcast. You can do that wherever we're at. God bless you. We'll see you next time.